This is the Detroit is Different Podcast Network, the culture of an American classic city. You're listening to the Piper Carter Podcast on the Detroit is Different Podcast Network. All right. I am late, 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 late. I was trying to experiment and do some other stuff, so apologize about being this late. Um, I didn't even mean to be this tardy, but welcome to Piper Carter Podcast. You're listening to Piper Carter. Um, if you're joining me, the show, uh, runner is, uh, Beyond Beats, the environmental impact of hip hop culture. And I have a couple of things that I wanted to do for y'all. I was trying to, um, play some music for y'all, but, uh, I don't know. It's, uh, it's acting kind of funky so with that um yeah i don't know why it's acting like that yeah i really don't know why it's acting like that um hmm let me see i'm signing in here appreciate y'all um being patient with me um Let me see if this is it. No. Uh, so I don't know. I'll have to figure that out after. But um, let me see. Yeah, it's a lot going on here at the crib. I normally I'm at the studio for Piper Carter podcast at the yeah, uh, but it was it, the weather's kind of um dangerous out so I'm, I'm just in my home studio in the basement um so please bear with me uh let me see so today is the 23rd and um what are some things that i want to talk about well like i said the showrunner is beyond be- beyond the beats environmental impact of hip-hop culture i do want to let y'all know that this coming saturday will be my birthday i'm gonna be 52 can you believe that that's very interesting that I'm going to be 52. I believe it when I see it. I'm like, mm, yeah, I see it, girl. But um, 52 years that I've been going around um, and around and around. Um, I had this song that I wanted to play for y'all. And it's just interesting the way the whole StreamYard situation is set up. You know, um, I have to like put things inside of the video part with the branding and I just didn't make it. I was, I wanted to play this song for y'all, but I just didn't make it like in time to like play that song for y'all. So, but, um, any hooty now I just gave y'all a couple of minutes to get up in here. So now that the gang's all here, I'm going to quit this Serato. I was trying to figure out how to do the, Serato as well. Um, <clears throat> it's pretty interesting, like Serato and StreamYard. So not really working, playing well together today, but going to keep trying to play with it um, and see how it, you know, how it does. Uh, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to quit this one too. I don't know if y'all can hear what I hear, my computer has 
my computer's on this last leg. I've got to get a new computer, which is interesting because I got this computer as a gift in twenty uh, in twenty nineteen. But obviously, they make the computer so that they go um, obsolete. Here, let me do this. This thing is driving me insane, honey. Okay. Um, sorry guys. Thanks for bearing with me. It's like a lot going on here in the, in the studio. <sighs> Thanks for bearing with me. I'm trying to quit this Google Chrome cause I'm using the brave browser. Have y'all used the brave browser? So, um, okay. So we're talking about the environmental impact of hip hop culture. So I had looked up some different artists that um, they say do um, hip hop music, right? And so I have a question for y'all. So some, like I said, some of the artists that they were saying was like Childish Gambino. They were saying that Beyonce, they were saying that um, uh, uh, SZA, um, man, it was like a, a long list of people, but, um, Lupe Fiasco, but something that I, um, do wonder is if an artist has like one lyric that represents environmental justice, right? Does that make them, does that make them like pro the environment? I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure about that. Um, but I think what the list was reflecting was like artists who had songs that had some sort of environmental thing to it. Right. So like Childish Gambino, um, feels like summer or yeah. So, but I don't think that that qualifies actually that the artist was doing music like that was like pro environment. So I guess part of my question is around um, maybe like the role of artists and the environment. And so um, I kind of had some, some thoughts about that. Uh, You know, I kind of had some thoughts around that. So I'm going to my notes in my Google notes and please uh, forgive me. Everything here is so slow. Um, and here we go. I have things saved like all over the place, but um, I had to like redo some stuff to get back in here. And now I have to re-sign in. It's a whole situation. I was all ready to go for y'all, but I, can y'all hear that? It still hasn't, it still hasn't quit. Like the Google Chrome thing still hasn't quit. What's this? Is it? I don't know. Honey, this thing still hasn't quit. I'm like, what is going on with that? Ooh, child. Okay, anyway. Um, let's see. Man. Okay. So there was a couple of questions that I wanted to 
also ask, right? So uh, one of the questions that I have is about hip hop and politics, right? So can rap lyrics shape um, our public opinion in Detroit? I want us to think about that. Um, so one part is like, you know, it tackles the main themes around like exploring, I'm going to say like local artists or Detroit-based artists, right, that address um, political issues. Like, do we have Detroit-based artists that address political issues? Um, and like, does their, do, like, do they have an influence on community conversations um, and political consequences. So that's kind of something that I want to think about a little bit. I think of artists like Mama Soul. So artists like Mama Soul, although Mama Soul is from Flint, she I consider her also Detroit hip hop because she does come to Detroit a lot. She performs in Detroit a lot. She has a lot of songs. She's taught in Detroit. She's worked with our youth. And she has a nice following in Detroit. So whenever I do events or women in hip hop events, a lot of people are like, are you going to bring Mama Soul? And whenever um, I talk about hip hop in a certain way, people, you know, Mama Soul's name comes up. I would consider Mama Soul an environmental justice, like the marriage of environmental justice and hip hop. Because if we're looking at the principles of environmental justice, that would also include the people. So air, land, water, um, and the people. And of course, she has songs talking about like gun violence. She has songs talking about um, relationships, but like not just sexual relationships, but like family, familial relationships or like uh, mother and son relationships. Um, uh, Peace, LaVon. Um, LaVon Pettis says, I remember when artists galvanized for the National Hip Hop Political Convention. Um, the one, It was one that he, was here in Detroit, or do you mean one that was in D.C., or do you mean one that was in New York? Um, just to be, I'm not sure which one you're talking about. Um, but, um, you know, and I think, you know, Mama Soul talks a lot about her son, um, and, and, and making the world better, you know, for her son. So you said it was an international delegation of folks working locally, nationally, and transcontinentally. Um, peace, Yeri, Kim, interesting, never thought about environmental impacts producing and concerts have, but good to consider. And as you're speaking about it, I'm thinking about the justice part, the lyrics part, impact. So, shouts out to Yanash Taha who is an international indigenous, black and indigenous organizer. And um, I told this story on my um, podcast yesterday, but she has been uh, for a couple of decades organizing events around disasters, right? So <clears throat> initially when um, Haiti had the hurricane, or I'm sorry, the earthquake, um, she did uh, hip hop uh, for Haiti. And so every, you know, she got different artists to come together, do like a telethon and an all day performance and then raise money and awareness about the political situation in Haiti, but also um, connected with people on the ground to get them the supplies and things that they need, as well as some funding, as well as connect with trusted 
uh, organizations that could receive funding and, you know, we're doing the work. Um, LaVon Pettis says that Mama Soul will come to Chicago and support us here too. And my introduction to Yanaj Dahab was during the Flint water crisis, which Flint is not fixed. I got to let y'all know from the citizens of Flint that Flint is still not fixed. And also too, that, um, you know, Snyder got away with murder and all the people that were in all the government officials and corporations um, like Nestle and others were, are, um, should be held accountable and are the reason that there was a Flint water crisis. You know, I talk about it all the time with the emergency management and them making the decision to change from the um, Detroit River to the Flint River. But um, I also want to shout out Princess CoverGirl. Um, we have a mixtape. We have a Women in Hip Hop mixtape. We, meaning my organization, we found hip hop. We've got three volumes of a Women in Hip Hop mixtape that is on um, sound, that's available for you on SoundCloud. And um, Princess has a song on there about being poisoned. Right. About, um, you know, Governor Snyder, you know, you should drink the water that that Flint drinks and something to that effect. And, um, you know, so that's on there. I also want to acknowledge um, that there are 17 environmental justice principles. Right. And the principles are all about demilitarism, um, about protecting, you know, the environment, the people. Um, you know, there, there's, and, and they were created by an amazing group, uh, in 1991 at the people of color summit who came together. And that's where, uh, I'm going to say like our modern environmental justice movement, uh, grew because that, you know, historically, uh, we know that it started, um, in the eighties. And so, here in Detroit, we have a plethora of environmental issues. And I personally have been involved in a lot of um, the efforts combining hip hop and, um, you know, doing concerts, raising awareness, raising monies, um, connecting with people on the ground that are doing the work. And so um, I, I'm saying that just to say that um, there are instances in which people do it. I'm not sure if um, it's like actually a genre, right? And so I guess what I want to kind of explore today is, you know, there's this whole, uh, I mean, well, it's definitely based on misogyny, but there's a whole movement around people critiquing and criticizing what's going on with women in hip hop and there being, um, I'll say an abundance of, uh, what did, uh, sexy red says, stop calling it coochie rap. But, um, I mean, I don't know another word because that's all people are talking about. So that's why it's difficult to know uh, what else to call it. But, um, with all due respect, whatever, uh, you know, rap, whatever the, the term is, but there's a plethora of like that genre, right? And so without talking about like, oh, we need to, you know, shut them down. I guess I'm just thinking about 
you know, the internet and media and our appetites. And I'm wondering, like, do we want to have different media? Like, do we want to have, like, would y'all, we support artists, hip hop artists that were doing um, songs around environmental justice? Like, do we support that? I know um, that, you know, the beat's got to be hot and like, it's got to feel good and all that kind of thing. But I'm wondering, is this, you know, they say that y'all don't really want to hear stuff like that, right? Um, another thing that I think about is like the health and wellness, um, like addressing like health disparities in, in, in Detroit communities. So, um, thinking around hip hop that discusses like the unique challenges and solutions for health and wellness within our marginalized communities. So like, um, yeah, like, do we have an appetite? For this type of, do we have an appetite for this piece? I want to say peace to Yolanda McNair. So, for instance, Yolanda's um, organization, um, I got to, we, we've interviewed Yolanda on the platform. I've promoted her events, but it's Protect Our Stolen Treasures. I'm not sure if you remember her, but there's an episode, you could look her up. Um, on Piper Carter podcast, it was from last year where um, we learned about her work and her case and everything. But um, I would consider what she does uh, a part of environmental justice, right? Um, because for me, as an environmental justice activist, our environment is what we're protecting, right? And trying to make clean or whole or healthy or build, right? And so um, making sure that we're safe, right? Whether it's clean air, clean water, um, you know, securing our space where we live, like buying land, growing food, having community farms and this kind of thing, but also our safety around, you know, like not being murdered, you know what I'm saying? And not being murdered by police and not being harassed and not being, targeted and not being, um, disrespected. You know what I mean? Um, because people are at the center of our environment, you know what I mean? As humans, like that's what we do. We connect with other people. We interact with other people. We communicate with other people. And for me, my work is centered in people because I believe in us having whole healthy communities that are centered on the person. I know in Detroit, we do have a plethora of music. I'm going to call it like death hop. And it's a lot of music that glorifies death. And it's interesting because if you have conversations with a lot of the artists, they'll tell you, well, I'm just reflecting my environment. And if you listen to the lyrics I don't really hear in a lot of the lyrics people saying like this environment is negatively impacting me and I want to do something different. What I hear in a lot of the lyrics is I live in this community and I'm also a part of uh, the reason that people are scared to live in my community or something to that effect. You know, I, I hear a lot of braggadociousness around uh, 
killing one another and disrespecting women and and disrespecting one another, you know, like uh, conversations like, you know, I'll I'll give you a baby and I'm not going to pay for it. I'm going to have sex with you and your mom and disrespect you both. I'm going to treat you like crap. You know, uh, uh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to set you up. I'm going to put some drugs in your drink and I'm going to set you up and take your money. I mean, I just hear all of this or this just hyper capitalism. Like, you know, I want to get all this money so I can buy these things. Like I want to buy these expensive cars from these companies that don't care about me or the environment that are ruining the environment. Um, all these clothing from these clothing lines that don't care about me and add to the landfill, you know, um, and I just want to be able to like amass so much more than other people because that's what's going to give me some level of, you know, self-esteem. But I'm wondering what our environment would be like if we had more um, art and music that was is life-affirming. And the only reason I say I wonder is because what I've heard from younger generations is part of the pushback is, well, back in the day, they had love songs and you still had murders and killings and gangsters and stuff. And that's true. That's true. That's true. Um, And while that's true, I think as an older person, I can say that that culture was unacceptable, right? Like the culture of um, like, you know, disrespecting life or the culture of violence or the culture of murder. That was not a culture that people aspire to, right? Like that was not, people didn't sing about that because they were like, oh, this is good or this is who we are. This is what we want to be, right? As a matter of fact, more music spoke to, I would say like aspirational, right? Like uh, because we came from these horrifying conditions, a lot of the music spoke to um, the world in which they wanted to bring forth, right? Um, That had love and beauty. And I'm not saying that there weren't, you know, songs. That's what the blues is about, right? That's what the original R&B is about, right? Is that it's singing, it's, it's finding a way to transmute the pain, right? Of the conditions that we were living in. But like, so Yolanda says that rappers are not speaking anything positive or encouraging. And you know, what's interesting about that is for at least the last 20 years that I've like been doing a lot of things in with young people or even conversations, which what's interesting when I had that particular conversation, um, even with people in my own generation, so it's not even like a young person thing, right? As a Gen Xer, even with people in my own generation, the conversation is that um, we, you know, um, aren't. So I remember going to some rap, some different rap shows, or even seeing people on television, or even when I had my space, and consistently, what they would say is you know, either something like, well, you ought to be happy that I'm here rapping because otherwise I'd be terrorizing your neighborhood, right? So that for me feeds into the narrative that Black people should be disrespected because we're animals. We just can't 
control ourselves, right? So, um, which which I fully reject, right? I, I I fully reject that. I I'm sorry that I reject it, but I fully reject it because I'm like the same people out of their same mouths when something happens are the same people that are saying, oh, this needs to stop, right? When something negative happens, when some terrible, tragic violence happens, the first thing they'll say is, oh, this needs to stop. It's the same people saying, you know, if I wasn't here rapping, then, you know, y'all better be happy I'm, I'm rapping or else I'd be at your house, you know, robbing and stealing. Um, and to be honest, that's not who we are. Now, maybe that's a whole another conversation about the industry and what they want to create us to be. And um, Dr. Jared Ball always talks about how audiences are created, right? And uh, when we're doing our media literacy, we understand that audiences are created. Uh, For Khan says, for Khan Khaldun says, Yasin Bey was saying something similar. Where does music, let me put it up here. Uh, It says, where does music that affirms these negative empty themes get us what value can be extracted. And so, yeah, I guess I'm thinking of it like, who are the people that are doing all this life-affirming music? I hear a lot of life-affirming music in like the alternative space, but it's not hip-hop. It's like this kind of, um, I don't know if y'all know about Mara Hurubi or, you know, the it, it, uh, uh, Karim Bailey Ray. It's kind of like the... um. The, the it's like R and B ish. It's kind of like pop R and B, kind of melodic pop R and B. Um, I think uh, something else that uh, another like thought that comes to mind is we hear we've been hearing for like thirty years or so. I'm gonna call them like prison raps, right? So there's this whole uh, premise. My comrade sent me an article, sent me the article. I know y'all have seen this article. Maybe I'll just go ahead and pull it up. Um, Where uh, uh, I remember the meeting with like Dr. Dre and uh, well, you know what? I better not pull it up because just in case, I don't want to get one of them strikes in case they give me like false information because sometimes they do that even when you tell the truth. But supposedly there was a meeting with the, 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 you know, to create the gangster rap, right? Which I don't, you know, I don't doubt, right? Um, just like the CIA says they never uh, were involved in, in, in creating a crack epidemic, which we found out later. There was a whole report from the reporter that was murdered who um, brought the information forward, right? And so um, just like how a whole, a whole like culture of being addicted to drugs, right, was created to where um, it transformed, you know, generations, right? And it had a whole soundtrack to it. And the soundtrack was the gangster rap. And it makes sense, right, as a marketing campaign, because if you can market uh, guns, especially purchasing guns illegally. If you can market murder, especially mur- murdering your own 
community members, if you can market disrespect, especially disrespecting elders and disrespecting women and disrespecting a family and disrespecting children and disrespecting other people that look like you, right? Um, there's a whole soundtrack to that, like 30 years of soundtrack. And it's true. We did have all this stuff when we had R&B, you know, that's a valid argument. And so, you know, we definitely not taking our foot feet off the neck of, you know, the systemic aspect, right? Um, poverty, right? Um, all these, you know, this, 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 this commercialization of everything and the, um, and capitalism, right? Um, patriarchy. Those are obviously, those are the root causes of, you know, of our pain that we're suffering, right? In our communities. And it's linked to climate change, it's linked to, you know, environmental racism, it's linked to all of that. Um, I look at the, you know, it's interesting when people say, well, you know, hip hop doesn't really have influence. I would beg to differ. I think it has a high influence, um, especially in our communities and especially with young people. Everything in America is about commercialism. Everything is about selling something back to us. Every single thing, whether it, it mostly it's ideas, you know, mostly it's selling ideas so that um, we'll be lulled to sleep. And so we'll just accept, you know, certain things and, um, and keep buying stuff. Right. Just like, just like keep buying, just keep buying things, just keep um, buying things. Um, I have a lot of notes about things that I was, uh, that I was working on. So I think I want to add to this conversation when we talk about environmental justice, that a lot of times we don't, um, did that puppy? Yeah. A lot of times what we don't, um, include in the conversation around environmental justice is the conversation about abolition, right? So recently, um, very recently, we have um, experienced deep trauma in our community, right? Um, I did a whole episode about it last week, two episodes actually about it last week. So you can go check them out. I don't want to rehash all of it here. Um, but uh, long story short, talked about our comrade and sister, you know, being uh, murdered, right? And so um, the week before that, I had done uh, an episode about um, critiquing Cat Williams, right? And... My critique within that was around um, peace, peace. And my critique was around the role of comedy, right? And, and particularly his comedy and his personification as a pimp or the pimp, what, what would you call that? The pimp persona, right? And... Uh, one thing, in, one thing in particular that bothered me was 
you know, around calling in a joke. Um, he was joking about a little girl that was somewhere, I don't know, between five to eight years old. And he, he, he jokingly called her a bitch. And so I was thinking about the role of comedy as well as a part of entertainment and and I'm including it in hip hop and the ways in which we start to accept certain language, even in our daily, even in our relationships, right? And I was saying how um, that although people might think that it's funny, right, in that moment, what happens a lot with humor, especially, or music, it goes into your subconscious part of your brain, which is why humor is very powerful. And those ideas go into your brain and now it becomes acceptable um, to hear children being called bitches, right? And that might not seem like a lot to people, but after a while, it 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 is. I would consider it a form of violence. I would consider it a form of uh, disregarding uh, life and someone's life. I'm saying all that to say that how it relates to our conversations around abolition, when we're talking about respecting Black life and honoring Black life and and doing you know life affirming entertainment and life affirming music and the ways in which entertainment and music and all these things can um, actually have an impact on our psyche, right? And on our community. Um, Think of uh, like a campaign, right? Like a commercial campaign or how many times you see a commercial before it becomes like, something you whistle or hum or sing or think about, or you say the slogan or you don't even think about it. These are ideas that are planted, right? That's why it's called programming. These are ideas that get planted, right? Like into your consciousness. So when we think about ideas around, you know, are black men safe? Well, how many examples in our entertainment whether it's through humor or whether it's through the the music do we or 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 the music videos or any of that do we have this consistent messaging through images and words and and poetry and music and comedy that like black men are dangerous and black men are unsafe and they're going to hurt you they're going to kill you they don't they you know they don't they're going to do these terrible things right and i would say that that also lends itself. I mean, and the same thing with black women, right? She's going to set you up. She's going to lie. She's not trustworthy. She's, you know, not worth investing in. She's going to, you know, hurt you or she's, you know, malicious and vicious and all this kind of thing. And, or, or she's, she's worthless, you know, and the only thing she's worth is just to have sex with her and toss her. And you can, and anyone can have access to her or her body because her life is meaningless, right? Now, these are the messages that are in a lot of our music. These are the messages that help to create a certain environment. And I'm sure, because I've experienced it, I'm sure y'all have experienced it. Have you ever gone to a place and you get that feeling like 
you got to look around your shoulder and like keep your coat on. You know what I'm saying? And the music might be hot. You know what I'm saying? But you're like looking around because you're trying to figure out the exits. You know what I'm saying? Or have you ever been to a place and, and the music is very soothing and you feel comfortable and you, you feel like you can relax and just take your shoes off and you can even close your eyes and you feel good. So when people say that it doesn't matter, their sound and the sonic vibrations do matter and they're a part of our environment and they have an ability to shift the frequencies and shift in our environment. So anyway, um, I'm going to put a couple more comments up here. So Yolanda said a lot of Caucasian run music labels won't produce positive input from rappers. They project a uh, negative life is what they want. And unfortunately the hungry rappers are pimping out their dignity. So let's talk about that. So, um, when we talk about, so that's the, that's a part of that link between like the world that we want, which in which we have access to clean air and clean water and, and great schools and education and, you know, health and optimal health. And our families are, you know, in abundance and, 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 and beauty and, you know, um, and we feel safe and all of that. And what the capitalists, you know, the world that the capitalists want us to be in, which is full of wars and competition and us at each other's throats and this whole, you know, philosophy of scarcity that's created, right? And a part of that um, that I'm asking is because we have an abundance of this kind of music, right, in our hip-hop sphere, in our hip-hop culture, um, as opposed to more life-affirming music, right? Um, so, and then Yolanda also says, we as people need to honestly come together and work for positive changes for our communities. And so that's something that Yolanda's been doing uh, herself with her partner and in you know, bringing people together to support, you know, parents and families, you know, that have been impacted by uh, having a young, one of their children murdered by police, right? And, but she's not limited to that, right? Like she um, connects with other organizations and, and, and does a lot of other things in the community and, you know, is uh, making sure that the parents have things that they need and that, you know, um, there's a healing component and there's a lot of joy and beauty, right? Because we're not just our pain. We're not just our suffering, right? We're complete whole human beings that also need, right? That nourishment in that way. Um, oh, you got to get notifications. I feel you. So, you know, I wanted to think about, I wanted us to think about, like, who are the artists that are doing this kind of life-affirming music? I mean, I know there's Sarok, um that has a lot of life, S-A-R-O-C. She has a lot of life-affirming music, right? A lot of her music is very life-affirming. 
I know that rap, some of Rhapsody's music is kind of life affirming. I think, um, uh, you know, I talked about Mama Soul, her whole catalog. I talked about, well, like I was saying, so I'm wondering, you know, because like when I looked up some different artists and I said they were adding these different, you know, artists to the fold, um, I'm kind of wondering like where they're getting that from only because, uh, I just don't agree. You know what I mean? That all those artists, I don't know. So let me, let me say this about that. I'm thinking about like, okay, they were kind of naming like artists that might've had like some environment thing in the, in their title. Right. Or artists that may have had like one line. Right. Or artists that may have had even one song. But I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily consider that as an artist that does like life affirming music or whatever. Right. Um, and I guess uh, when I think about like environment, some other notes that I wrote here is like um, thinking about like using eco-conscious music samples, right? Um, like rapping about like composting, um, you know, bringing light to like sweatshops, you know what I mean? And the, the conditions that people have to work in and factories and things. Um, uh, you know, just kind of thinking about... Um, the ethics that, um, so right now when we, you know, we have had representation, right? Meaning we had, we, we were able to celebrate that black artists, um, had clothing lines, right? So we had like Maurice Malone and we had, you know, Nietzsche and all these other, you know, black owned brands. Right. And so we celebrated that we had hip hop influencing, as you will, fashion and all these black owned brands. And I think at that time, representation was very important because we didn't have representation. Like, you know, we were buying all this stuff and doing all this stuff, but um, not involved. Right. And I think over the last couple of decades with a lot of black people being involved in fashion and having brands and, and this kind of thing, we've come to better understand that a lot of, um, so there was a couple of different ways that they were doing it. So one was there was a clothing line and then they would get with a, like a famous, you know, rapper or producer or hip hop persona. And they would say, well, let me use your name. And so they put the name on it. Right. So, they wouldn't have to think about all the production part, the business part, the ethics, right? Whether they're using sweatshop labor or any of that. Then you had other people, right? Like your um, April Walker and the Walker Wear and some of your others, you know, even Maurice Malone, who uh, were actually involved in the production, right? So they were actually connecting in China and connecting with, you know, people that actually make clothes and, you know, involved in the entire, you know, stream of, 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 um, of the, of the process. Right. And so, 
um, we celebrated that, right? And I think uh, as hip hoppers or whatever, you know, what we were celebrating uh, was that idea of like that come up, you know, like the entrepreneurship there, they're owning their business, they're owning their brand, they're making decisions, they're making their money. I think where we are now though, in 2024, that we know about climate change, that we know about environmental justice, that we can think about conditions and factories and we want to resist against sweatshops and we want to resist against hyper consumerism and, you know, um, thinking about the ways in which workers are treated and thinking about the ways in which, you know, uh, we're actually making an impact in society and in our community. I think a different conversation to have in this moment is um, maybe the role of like shifting the mindset from being a consumer, right? Um, I was going to say from being a consumer to becoming a producer. That's what I used to always say. And I'm going to say it's not even necessary that we produce so much anymore. Like there's so much that exists on the planet. I know a lot of um, where we are now, like what does that conversation in hip hop look like? That's not about hyper consumerism. That's not about buying things or one-upping people or getting all this uh, blood diamonds, you know, where they're chopping off children's hands and stuff for you to look cute or, uh, you know, for you to wear a chain or, you know, not thinking about where the gold comes from or the, or the impacted, you know, communities that aren't even benefiting from these industries and these corporations that are in these people's communities and extracting from them, you know, and, and, and charging exorbitant rates and, and just, terrorizing people in communities and murdering them, right? For their resources and their labor um, so that the West can have their needs, right? And how do we as people in hip hop start to create those connections of us, you know, being connected to these people, right? So there's a whole consciousness on the left around anti-capitalism, right? And what's interesting about an anti-capitalist framework, I think, especially like in my community, um, I don't even think people talk about capitalism or anti-capitalism. Do you know what I'm saying? In my community, in my neighborhood, what people talk about is getting money, getting paid, becoming rich, you know, this kind of thing. And so they look up to like your Jay-Z's and they look up to, you know, people that you know, have hoard, you know, are hoarders of, of, of resources, right? And the billionaires and things. And they look to say, well, this person can, can be, you know, successful, but the definition of success is accumulation, right? Of things, of wealth, of money. I think what we don't talk enough about in our communities, or I would like to see us figure out more and, and highlight and discuss and uplift, especially in our music and our conversations is what would it look like for us to actually think about the purpose of education? Like what's the role of education? Like, why are you getting educated? Are you, you know, at, at a certain point, education was just to 
get a skill so you could enter the workforce so you could just make money, right? And while that is true, that that needs to happen, I think we're at the point where we think like, but to do what and to serve what purpose? And how does this serve community? How does it impact community? And like, what role does community have? What role does uh, do the youth have in community? I feel like we're at that moment, right? So whereas like back in my day, you know, it's like, oh, well, you want to go to school, get your, you know, get your education, get your money. And like, that was the goal, right? Or but be whatever, but like, that was, that was it. Like, that was the goal. I think, you know, especially living in Detroit and seeing how, um, especially with this whole Stephen A. Smith conversation, everyone is up in arms about what um, Stephen A. Smith said. I think if we're critical, though, and honest, on the one hand, yes, it's disrespectful the way he said it. He's not from here. And I think that the critique is kind of valid in a way but the parts of the critique that I find are valid is not really like to underscore, to confirm what St- Stephen A. Smith said. It's more looking at like the uh, evidence of our failed leadership, right? So for Detroit to be an 80% black city or mostly, you know, black city and to have mostly black leadership, but for the downtown to have all the resources and the other neighborhoods to not have resources and our so-called leadership consistently give us excuses is unacceptable, right? Is There's always an excuse and it's unacceptable. And so, you know, it's an election year. Things are about to heat up. We're about to have more of these conversations. I'm probably rambling and all over the place, but it's all connected. Trust me and believe me. Um, so Christopher, and I don't know who Christopher is, but I am going to put your comment here because it's an interesting comment. You said, I'm not an expert, but I feel Detroit is losing its identity. So the music doesn't have the same impact. I would wonder like what impact Detroit's music had. I mean, I think techno has had a worldwide impact. I think Dilla has had a worldwide impact, but until recently, people didn't even know who Dilla was. You know what I'm saying? So there's that. That's a whole different conversation. But I'm saying, rest in peace. A lot of people just found out who Ant Fiddler was. I was on the board of this prestigious arts organization that did this really prestigious event that did this really prestigious fundraiser. And I almost had to twist their, I had to twist their arms to force them to hire AMP to perform. Um, That was one year. The next year I had to uh, force them to have Monica Blair perform. There's so many challenges in Detroit with regard to the consciousness or the lack of consciousness with, um, I'm going to say our leadership or our elected officials, right? 
I know our elected officials are kind of represent our community because like we see them everywhere. We know them. They come like from the community. They listen to the same music we listen to. You know what I'm saying? They're impacted by the same things that we're impacted by. Now, there's other things like I can't make accusations of how they benefit or don't benefit. But I'm just saying like culturally, right, culturally, what would Detroit, a city where everybody has a fur coat or multiple fur coats with a matching fur hat, um, mink, by the way, chinchilla and other things where um, and I'm saying that to say that maybe you only need one fur coat. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, I know Detroit got to have a fur, but maybe you just need one. Um, a, a city where um, in the neighborhoods, the water is poisoned by lead and other contaminants. And so is the water in the schools. But the school sends home a letter with the children to give to their parents who their parents probably don't read it that says that they're going to shut down the water fountains and the kids can't use the bathrooms um, because the water is contaminated. Um, Where... The uh, schools have gotten to a place where they made a decision that they want to put police inside the schools as security, but they don't even have, they've, you know, without a 1500 kids, they don't even have a counselor. Right. And you're talking about um, public schools with populations that, and I only know this from, working in schools, working with schools, with populations that have about 50, 60, 70% of young people that don't live with their uh, parents, right? They live either in some sort of uh, foster care uh, home or, some, you know, maybe it's a grandparent or an aunt or uh, some guardianship situation, Right. And shouts out to everyone that's doing a great job taking care of kids because don't want to shade any of you. I'm saying that to say, though, that all of that is a part of our environment. Right. The ways in which children are disrespected when you see that we don't even have a decent transportation system in Detroit. Not sure that people remember how the initially people mover uh, was created, but initially, but that was also a scam because that conversation came from monies that were supposed to go to improve the bus infrastructure. Okay, pay drivers more money, put more buses on the roads. Um, fix existing buses, this kind of thing. But long story short, it turned into the people mover that goes around in a circle. Fast forward like 30 years later, the same thing happens with the queue line. And I don't know if y'all remember, and the only reason I remember because I was involved in the protests with people's platform against the queue line. Well, the queue line 
started out as Dan Gilbert having conversations with the city or with DDOT saying, um, and if you're trying to figure out like what this has to do with environmental justice, transportation is a part of environmental justice, right? And improving transportation and making sure that the transportation is uh, safe, that it works for the people, that it's convenient, that it serves the people, that it um, isn't, you know, producing um, toxins that, um, anyway, so, um, the initial conversations were Dan Gilbert, um, had conversations with DDOT and was like, look, cause DDOT was like, you know, people were complaining, right? The same thing, like the drivers weren't being paid properly. Um, they were, you know, consistently, consistently being laid off. They had a lot of buses that were down, broken, um, they didn't, you know, have money to pay mechanics. They, um, a lot of times, you know, the different, um, like air conditioning or the heat and things like that weren't working on the buses. Um, so, uh, people weren't being paid their overtime. Like it was a lot of challenge. They didn't have enough drivers. That's why the lines were taking so long. So we already know that these corporations and in the suburbs and all that, they didn't want Detroit anyway to be uh, not a car city. Like they wanted it to stay a car city to boost their reputation as well as their pockets, right? About being an automotive city. So they've always resisted against us having a decent transportation system. But when Dan Gilbert was having conversations with DDOT, the conversation was, okay, this is what we'll do. I'll invest in the infrastructure for the bus lines. And it was supposed to do just that because initially they were, uh, he had promised that the bus line would be extended all the way to Pontiac. Okay. And so um, that would allow people who live anywhere in between to get back and forth to work, which would boost the economy, right? And convenience, they were supposed to add more buses on all the lines, fix the buses, pay the drivers the overtime, um, all the things, right, that make the, um, the, the system workable, right? And uh, more efficient and, 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 and run better for the people. So fast forward, once they agreed and signed paperwork and all that, then he flipped the script and what created in the middle of the process a 501c3, a non, he turned it into a nonprofit, okay? And then connected with all the, like, I think the universities that are along the line and had each one of them donate so that um, there was, you know, so that they uh, were contributing financially to the line, right? And so um, that's why if you go into Q-Line, you'll see that there's like a Michigan, uh, what is it, University of Michigan? And anyway, each thing has their little uh, stop, right? Their name on the stop. Then he, then he was like, you know what? It was supposed to be like high speed. Well, they call it high speed rail, but it's, it goes like two miles a, a year, but it was like, um, this is going to go to Pontiac. So then that was the, 
the deal that that thing would go to Pontiac, right? And somewhere in between there, they decided that, um, anyway, he lied and that didn't happen. So then it, then they sold us on, oh, well, guess what? You can go from New Center, right? No, then they said it was going to go to 8 Mile. But then they changed it and then they say, well, it's going to go from New Center to downtown. So now we have a, another useless, expensive transit project that doesn't serve anyone for real. Um, they spent all that money on it. First, they were it was like a dollar or something, but now it's free. They charge sometimes, sometimes they don't. And I guess um, you you can park there and then get on it and go to games, whatever. But it's still dumb. Like the people mover is still useless, right? Like the people mover. And um, the transit um, activists and things are actively trying to get people to ride the bus because um, what the rhetoric is, is that Detroit doesn't have enough bus riders, which if you know, like I know, a lot of Detroiters, um, they don't ride the bus because the bus doesn't serve people. Because if you have kids, you see your kids outside and and it's black outside, you'll see kids that are like five, six, seven, eight years old outside at the bus stop trying to catch the bus to go to school because they got to get up like three hours early because the buses are going to be late. Right. And this is the life. Like when I was a kid, you know, back in my day, you only need a couple minutes, right? Catch the bus, right? You go to school, you want to catch the bus. I could walk to school, but I could also catch the city bus to school. It was a, like a five minutes wait, you know, or whatever. But nowadays you might have an hour wait, 45 minute wait. You know what I'm saying? Detroit had last Monday, it was three degrees. Okay. Um, we already have a janky education system. It's a lot of kids that have to, or people that have to miss work and school because the bus doesn't work. Right. It doesn't it doesn't serve people and it doesn't work. And because they took the monies that were supposed to go to reinvest into the transportation system and put them and tank them into something else. We don't have, you know, and and again, they make it so difficult. We don't have a proper transportation system. But I just want to remind us. Uh, because I am talking about the intersections of hip hop and, uh, <laughs> and environmental justice. I'm wondering, like, you know how Trick Trick got that no fly zone when I was working, uh, I used to work at Shane Park as assistant stage manager. And remember when Youngberg, um, came and they jumped him and like took his chain, allegedly Trick Trick was uh, working with the uh, radio station who brought him. And he, they say he uh, had uh, somebody dress up like, you know, the person with the, with the sign to like pick him up and they picked him up and beat him up and took his chain. He never got to do the Summer Jam show. And we were calling and looking for him and stuff. 
And then I was working at Shane Park when the whole Rick Ross thing happened. And uh, they had all the police, you know, Trick Trick had all the police lined around Shane Park, not letting, you know, Rick Ross get out the car and get on the stage. It was a whole thing. And I'm wondering, like, do you all remember, was it 2020 or 2021 when um, those white supremacists came to Detroit and marched at the TCF Center? Well, it's the Huntington Center now. It used to be um, Cobo Arena, but now it's the, but at a certain point it was TCF Center. Do you all remember when those white supremacists came and all these so-called activists were not present uh, when it was women and elders that pushed them back because they were trying to rush, uh, rush them downtown when they were uh, in, the, in in doing the, I think it was a voting. So I'm wondering, like, where was hip hop in those instances? Like, where was that no fly zone? How come the no fly zone was for like Rick Ross and some foolishness and Young Bird over some stupid ass chain, but not for people's grandmothers that are civilians that were just trying to vote? Child. But, um, um, you know, there's so many records about foolishness and nonsense and, and, and death culture and murder and just glorifying it um, and, and capitalism and consumerism and, you know, uh, all this negative uh, uh, personification of, um, you know, treating women terribly and, you know, uh, not respecting people, not respecting life, not respecting children, not respecting you know, our people. And so I'm wondering, like, with all the environmental injustices that we have in Detroit, what would it look like to have an environmental justice hip hop movement that is life affirming, right? With banging beats where we're banging, you know, and 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 letting people know about our water crisis, right? The lead in our water and 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 that we're still powerful and you know that we need to improve our air quality, right? Do we know that in Southwest Detroit that 48217 is the most poison zip code in the state? And that marathon oil is there and been poisoning people for about 30 years and people have died and have gotten cancer. And initially they paid all the white folks so they could move and they were able to move and get a house. They didn't even tell black folks what was going on. And by the time they found out, you know, a lot of them either weren't able to move and sell their house or it was too late and they got sick. And a lot of them ended up being stuck and some of them stayed because that's their community and they own their house and they just can't leave. And I want to shout out to, um, you know, Mama Teresa Landrum, who's still there fighting for her neighbors, right? These are the types of issues that I want to see us, um, you know, in 2024, I want to see us have mixtapes around that. 
You know what I'm saying? Like as many issues and challenges as we have here, like that's real hip hop. That's hardcore. You know what I'm saying? The stuff that's happening to people. I say it all the time on this platform, how um, the Department of um, Water and Sewage has a policy to where they remove children uh, from the home. You know what I'm saying? Uh, when they, How they remove children from the home. And um, yeah, we have to talk. Yeah. So, you know, where, where they remove the children from the home and criminalize black women, you know what I'm saying? Because they can't afford their water bill, right? Like, we need lots of songs about that. I will say, though, it is an election year. And um, thanks to uh, the People's Water Board in Detroit and thanks to the people in, uh, at We the People of Detroit, um there is a bill called the, uh, I think it's called the Water Affordability Act. And uh, Rashida Tlaib put it forth um, in the Congress. And um, if I'm not mistaken, I think it is supposed to be up this year for a vote. Uh, so um, let's put a lot of energy on that. Let's see what you're talking about here. Okay, so this is Free Palestine, Sudan, the um, Democratic Republic of Congo, Tigray, Haiti, and Ugir. So, peace. Unfortunately, hip-hop got captured by the capitalists, as I'm sure you know. With the 2000s came the explosion of the ditties and groups like Diggable Planets, Tribe, and De La Soul leaving. So, we need that back. That's basically what the show is about. You know, what's interesting, I produce a lot of events and one of my biggest challenges is coming up with the money to do, to bring the artists, you know, like when I reach out to artists, the first thing they say is, well, how much you got? And I'd be like, because like, this is for the community. It's coming from the community and my community don't have, you know what I'm saying? We don't have the money to bring you, Um, you know, even uh, some of these inexpensive artists want like. 20,000 just to show up. But just because you, you know, some of these other artists want like 80,000 and 50,000 and stuff like that to show up. And then once the artist shows up, you still have to pay for a first class hotel room. You still have to pay for them plus, you know, their DJ, you know what I'm saying? A plane ticket for you. You have to buy all first class tickets. Um, you have to pay for a five-star hotel room. You have to pay for uh, uh, a top-notch, bonded, insured driver that, you know, these, these are contractual things, you know what I'm saying, that doesn't drive anything less than like a 2024, you know, navigator or whatever some top-of-the-line, you know, transportation vehicle is. And you know, um, they have to have, you know, special food and this whole thing. So, I mean, it's, 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 it's very difficult to, you know, because of the nature of the way that all this stuff has, has changed because of the way in which capital has, uh, like you said, captured, um, the culture, it does make it difficult, even in the community, to ask artists to come and do things. I mean, to be honest, 
you know, even artists that are doing favors are coming for like $5,000 and $10,000. And in my community, that's still a lot of money to come up. I mean, $1,000 in my community is a lot to come up with, to pay artists and stuff, to pay all this other stuff, right? So the $5,000 and $10,000, that's a lot of money to come up with to pay these artists to, you know, perform for a community. And then it's like, how do you justify that? We're, 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 we're like, we're asking for an artist to come like support our impoverished, marginalized community that already doesn't have resources. And then somehow, although we're saying that people can't afford, you know, clean water or their electric bill or decent transportation, that we got to find like $10,000 to pay an artist and, you know, we got to find ten dollars to $20,000 so that an artist can be okay, you know, because of their principles. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's an interesting thing. And, and I support artists, so I'm not trying to be like that. But I'm just saying that's kind of the reality of, you know, what we're dealing with. So I'm wondering, how do we balance that? Like, how do we, we got to figure out how to balance having artists step up to the plate, make music that's more life-affirming and reflective of our values and, you know, be able to come to the community. And, and, and you know, we want to take care of artists. I'm not trying to, you know, artists got bills to pay and lives to live and families to feed. So I'm not trying to diminish it. I'm just saying from the community side, I think a lot of, I, I get lectured by a lot of artists who tell me, about their value and how I should value them and this kind of thing. And it's like, I know the value of an artist. I, I appreciate artists. I think that artists should be valued and they should be invested into. I just think that um, expecting community members to pay the same rates that your that artists charge like a university. I think that's, preposterous. You know what I'm saying? Now, if the community can convince the university to, you know, foot the bill, then I think that's dope. You know what I'm saying? But um, that's not necessarily always the case. So, um, but anyway, I could go on and on and on. But I just wanted to start this conversation here. This won't be the end. I want to continue this conversation throughout the year and hopefully... Uh, expand uh, the mixtape project that I've been doing. And initially, it's all about women in hip hop. I may have it continue to be centered on women in hip hop. And um, let me see, I think my husband's listening to me upstairs. I hear it <laughs> down here. But um, I'm thinking that, you know, this is the beginning of the conversation that we need. These are conversations that we need to continue to have because another reason that we get a lot of the content that we get is because of who's paying for the music. Like you said, right? You uh, Free Palestine, Sudan, Democratic Republic of Congo, Tigray, Haiti, and Ugir said that our culture has been captured by the capitalists and Unfortunately, when artists are being paid, then they get to um, 
make decisions around who they're going to uh, please. Yeah, who, uh, maybe that's what it is, who they're going to please, who they're going to appease. And so I think it um, is necessary that we try to figure out um, how we're going to mitigate because we're going to continue to get um, death hop, if you will, um, if if we don't take over, you know what I'm saying? Like if we don't, if if, if we don't figure a way to like take over, um, and I don't want to say take over. Like we're, it's not like we're gonna be in, you know, we'll never be in competition with like Sony Universal Music, but there was a time. Okay, and this is there was a time when like when I was a little girl where what we did like didn't have nothing to do with them. And I feel like that still exists. I feel like that possibility still exists, like especially with this internet and this YouTube and all these tools that we have at our expo- disposal and us being in the street more and us being connected with one another more we have an ability to impact our environment. We have an ability to impact change in our environment, right? And make and create our audience and create our, you know, they say, um, doing all these like marketing classes and stuff like that, right? And and in the marketing classes, they say, all you need is your thousand true fans. And that is... What I'm building for my like brand is also what I'm supporting my artist Aisha in building like for her brand. And I think about how um collectively as community, I feel like somehow in that that's a good process for us to think about when we're doing our political education, when we're doing um we're trying to grow our community, we're trying to grow the consciousness of our community. Like, that's a big question. Who is our community? Right? Like, who's with us? Who are we talking to? Who shares our values? Who who wants to be down? Or who do we want to be down with? Right? Who do we support? Who supports us? Um, ideally, we want to say everybody. But realistically, we know that there are people who this will resonate with and there are people who it won't. And as, and, and as many murders that are in our community, as many, you know, atrocities that happen and tragedies and things that happen in our community, there's still a very strong, consistent appetite for that, for that sound, for that music, for that culture, for that. And so it's that, Right? Like when we talk about like how we're going to get their attention, like how do we get their attention? You know? And so over the course of 2024, that's what I'm going to be thinking about. How do we garner attention for the life affirming projects and music and comedy and media in our community that highlights our community, that celebrates our community, that lifts our community? that propels our community 
um, that's life affirming and and something different, right? That's very needed and very necessary. And there are artists that are doing what I would call like conscious hip hop or more positive hip hop. I think what's in, what we also need is artists who are thinking about our environment and our climate and our planet and, 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 and the ways in which we treat one another, you know, what we eat and, you know, uh, who we support and, you know, just the whole thing. Like we just, we just need a culture reset. We need to reset our culture. We need to create safer spaces where we can uh, gather together and amplify our culture. We need uh, to support media outlets. Like I'm gonna shout out, you know, Detroit is different as a media outlet that's here for a community that that does this work. But there's other media spaces that are doing this very work to like bring you healthy media. You know what I'm saying? Like, and the more and more that we encounter, you know, this, these positive, you know, vibrations, this is what we got to spread. This is what we got to share, right? On our social media, in our communities, in our homes. And this is what we got to make hot. This is what we got to make normalized. This is what we got to make popular. And I just wanted to come on and do this kind of show to kind of think about, you know, after last week's show, like what are some things that we can do? And I was saying something that, uh, that I want to do maybe, Hey, what's up, Norm, Norman Clement, you know, another person, look at all these community leaders <laughs> that are in, you know, another person that's in the tribe, right. You know, we're doing, um, hip hop caucus together, but you know, um, this is, um, um, Detroit change maker, you know what I'm saying? That, uh, Norman, you know what I'm saying, is a person, a father and a husband and a community leader and just, you know, doing his thing in community and in all these meetings and fighting for us, for our, you know, uh, all of our voting rights and things like that. And so this is the new culture. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's up to us. You know what I'm saying? It's something that I'm feeling in my heart. I'm feeling compelled, especially coming off the heels of, um, Kelly's murder last week. And it's, you know, and unfortunately, you know, rest in peace. Um, she's one of so many, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, it's just to normalize this death culture, this, you know, hate culture, this, you know, um, culture of just not respecting life. It's too normalized. And just like how we was dancing to all that Busta Rhymes and Puff Daddy and Biggie and Nicki Minaj or whatever else you like, they just have hot beats. If you take the hot beats, you can put other stuff with them hot beats. You know what I'm saying? Or you can create hot beats and have better messages, way better life affirming messages. And I just think in 2024, you know what I'm saying? Like people are sick and tired of all this war and destruction and death. You know what I'm saying? Like people had enough. 
And I think that's why like younger generations are leaning more towards, you know, these vocalists that are doing all this beautiful music, which I love. And we got to transform hip hop. We got to make hip hop more life affirming. And we have to make hip hop that is more life affirming. So I think a, a, like the mixtape that I have been working on, um, a couple of things I'm thinking to do for Native, I said on my other podcast, I want to um, think about how to make an impact, you know, in the community, right? I want to think about how to make a better impact in the community. Um, I think when I say the community, I'm talking about like hip hop community and something that I think I is on my heart. I want to do, I think like a, either like a writer's workshop that's dedicated to native child, I'll say, and, or a, um, a mixtape series that's dedicated to her to where, um, she, you know, maybe it can, you know, be, uh, dedicated to like mental health and, you know, just cause on the other mixtape, on one of the other mixtapes, um, that I did for women in hip hop, that's on SoundCloud. We did have, we did give them, um, prompts and we, you know, they were doing songs about mental health and self-care and things like that. And, and also, you know, domestic violence. And so I think continuing in that theme, I want to, uh, for my women in hip hop org, I want to do another, uh, mixtape series where we're, you know, really centering, uh, you know, these songs that are life affirming and these, and, you know, um, get this out to people and, 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 and have like a writer's workshop, you know what I mean? So that, um, not just young people, because our artists, you know, can, uh, really think about what they're saying. And, um, yeah, that's right. You know, the time to grow up. More Andre 3000. That's what Norman said. More Andre 3000. I'm feeling that. Um, we got to bring um, Norman on here and talk about his work again. We haven't had him for a minute, so we got to bring him back on, doing a lot of powerful work. So shouts out to you in, in, in gratitude. Also, too, I was thinking about um, when we were, when I had my youth program and we were um, doing Dilly Youth Day, I had Kari and Sterling train our youth. So Dilla has a song called F the Police. And it's so awesome. The beat is just make you go cuckoo. Um, and uh, I was like, oh, for the youth day, I said, I want the kids to perform F the Police. And everybody was like, pipe, the kids can't do F the Police. So we were trying to think of like, okay, if the kids can't say F the police. Like, what can the kids say? So Antonio was like, they could say, watch the police. So we were like, watch the police. So we took the Dilla beat and there's a youth group called um, uh, Detroit Urban Strings. Shouts out to uh, Cecilia Sharp. And the she had the young people that she trains in violin, and viola, cello, and bass learn the string section to F the police. And then our kids, which were doing hip hop and rap and stuff like that, they worked with Kari and Sterling to do a training around um, 
stop and frisk and know your rights and, you know, police terrorism and things like that. And so um, they, it was like about a three month workshop where they worked on that and they wrote the lyrics and then they practiced, they put the song together. So then when they performed the song at Dilla Youth Day, that song was so tough. That song was so hot. Um, cause you know, they were telling their story about being young people in Detroit, being harassed, um, terrorized by police and what it's like. And, um, and you know, they got to the part like everybody say one, two, three, watch the police. Yeah. And what was hilarious is that Dilly Youth Day was so packed. It was like, I don't know, it was hundreds of people in there and we were like, packed in like sardines and everybody was like Earl Flynn and just throwing their hands up. It was so hot. And everybody was just like, it was thumping. The parents were having a great time. The kids like that joint was popping. And all I remember, I looked and I, somebody had called the police <laughs> and I looked at the door. I said, "Uh Oh, so I, you know, had to go pew, cut straight to go see, you know, how you doing officers? You know what I'm saying? Like, so don't mess up the party now. But um, they just looked in and they was like, yo, this is dope. And they were just like having a good time like that. I was like, whoo. But, um, you know, I'm saying that to say that that, even though what they were saying, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? probably was like, whoa, it was so powerful that it even made like the police be like, you know what I'm saying? And um, I'm not saying that because I'm like, you know, uh, like uh, trying to like, you know, promote y'all on police or anything. I'm just saying that to say that that's the type of vibration, you know what I'm saying, that we can have. Um I'm saying a collective we, if we, you know, just, and it's funny because the young people were like, oh, this is corny. But when we, when we presented the idea, you know, initially, oh, this is corny. We don't want to do, we want to rap about what we want to rap about type thing. And, you know, I had to like negotiate with them, kind of beg them a little bit, like, come on, y'all. And... I mean, that song was in their repertoire for like years until our youth program ended. And everybody loved it. Adults loved it. Their peers loved it. And it was a dope tune. You know what I mean? My Dukes loved it, you know? And um, I'm just saying like, this is the power that our music can have. That song, M.O.P., Annie Up, Living in New York City, Whenever that song will come on, and I've heard this in different cities, whenever that song will come on, mayhem would burst out. There'd immediately be fights and whatever. Like, our music is powerful, and we do have that power to, like, transform our environment. So, um, any hootie, rooty tooty, I've probably taken up. I've already been on here like 90 minutes <laughs> and I've taken up a lot of your time. I want to um, ask y'all to like, share, subscribe, you know, continue to, um, you know, support the platform, especially Detroit is different because Kari's got a lot of stuff in store for you and for us. Um, I'm going to be more loyal to y'all as audience and supporters and be on here every single week, no matter what. 
And again, I'm not at the studio today because the roads were super slick and I decided to stay home and I just, I'm just doing my podcast from home today so I could um, be safe. But I wanted to make sure I brought y'all the episodes. So um, I will be here next week. And, um, you know, if you want me to talk about any topics, I'll talk about certain topics. If you want to join the mailing list so that um, you get this podcast and the other one in your inbox, you can um, email me at pipercarter at gmail.com and just send me a note saying add me to the mailing list so I can um, put you all on the newsletter and, you know, let people know. And I'm going to be doing a lot of collaborations like with Norman and with Yolanda. So I'm going to be talking about the stuff that they're doing and amplifying it and making sure that we're all aware of what all they're doing. And, the, and um, as well as, you know, the food co-op, the farm, um, you know, the stuff here in Detroit is different, the stuff, you know, that I, that I do, you know, uh, with community movement builders. There's so much good, like positive um, things that our community members are doing that I'm going to be amplifying on this channel. So um, again, like, share, subscribe, think about what I said. I'm going to be working on that mixtape. So if you know any music producers or rappers that want to get down, um, I'm figuring out a way to like work with people. So we give them the bar as to like what we're looking for because we need this life affirming music that we want to spread throughout our community. So um, I think I'm going to lay it down here. And like I said, this coming Saturday is my birthday. I'm going to be 52. So when I come back, I'm going to be 52 years old. All right. Um, And I want y'all to enjoy the rest of your week. Stay safe, stay warm. Um, and peace. Remember to like, share, subscribe, and always listen on Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Store, and Spotify. You're listening to the Detroit is Different Podcast Network.